Hello and welcome back to Building HVAC Science. This is episode 150, You've been keeping track. In this episode, Eric and I had a great time digging into the details of all things IAQ with John Ellis. Our conversation covered a new air filtration product developed by John in collaboration with Dustfree. Eric asked John about the applications for and the design of the product, and John, with his 43 years of field experience, described the collaboration with Dustfree's engineers, the development of this novel filtration system that employs all five filtration methods and has received ASHRAE 52.2 credentials with a MERV 16 rating. John elaborates on the technical aspects of the filtration system, explains static pressure drops for various unit sizes, and emphasizes the filter's long life of two to five years. As we wrap up the conversation, we shift to the practical applications and installation aspects of the system. John shares his insights into the design considerations for different furnace sizes and the simplicity of this filter box design, which requires either three or four filters depending on the unit. He also covers the flexibility of installation in various settings like attics, basements, and commercial spaces. John leaves no stone unturned, and he covers the distribution strategy, emphasizing the product's ease of transport and assembly, which makes it convenient for contractors and distributors alike. Our conversation concludes with a discussion of building forensics and the importance of proper investigation and diagnosis in indoor air quality solutions, which again highlights John's extensive experience in the field. Show notes have a link to John's LinkedIn bio, and you'll also find John very active, giving a lot of great advice in different HVAC Facebook groups. Okay, on to the conversation with John Ellis, Eric Kaiser, and myself on Filtering the Future, the journey of John Ellis and reinventing air quality. Hello again, folks, and welcome back to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. I'm your co-host, Eric Kaiser. And virtually next to me today, we have co-host Bill Spohn and our special guest, Mr. John Ellis. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me. John, you're probably a person some of our audience has heard of and even seen because you're out there. <laughs> you do a lot of traveling. You do a lot of presentations. Why don't you describe to us first what you're doing now and then take us back to how you got there? Yeah, Absolutely. I have the distinct pleasure of teaching indoor air quality for Daikin Amana Goodman. They've given me a wonderful platform. And when they approached me, they said, we're looking to create curriculum for the industry. And I said, I'm absolutely your guy, but I do not want to stand in front of a group of people and sell products because that's what everyone else does. They gave me free reign. It took a year to develop the curriculum and write the book. And I wrote it for the HVAC industry. And it encompasses building science, building forensics, and indoor air quality from a mechanical point of view. I taught it all over the United States and Canada, and it's been well received. And I really, we take a deep dive, but we could go a lot deeper. In that, we talk about different disciplines. For instance, what a CIH would bring to the table, and that's a certified industrial hygienist. And then how to read that report, how to understand it, and how to actually team up with a CIH and what that means for the HVAC contractor who may or may not be doing a lot of remediation, but it's well within a scope of work that we could do depending on skill set and how many employees of your staff you have. And then we go into the building science and what that means 
for indoor air quality. So building science, home performance. And then we go into the existing mechanical. And I could spend probably a full day just on psychometrics. But I introduce some principles. And the learning ladder is you know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know, because ignorance is blitz. But as soon as you know that you don't know, that requires an action step. That means you need to go out and gain knowledge, expertise, and experience. And then once you put it into practice, that's cognitive learning, and then it becomes subconscious. I say this in my classes. I could be working in New Jersey, and I leave my house in New Mexico, and I point my truck towards New Jersey, and next thing you know, I'm there. I don't know how the heck I got there, because I just know how to drive. And we do all kinds of things. We're eating and talking and listening to music, and my wife and I do a lot of content creating while we're driving. I talk, she types, and I don't really text and drive, but I may look. Just going to put that out there. But that's part of the experience. And I could spend two days just on building science principles. I can spend another two or three days just on HVAC and mechanical because heavens knows our industry at large has missed the mark on a lot of things. I am a business development manager and a business coach slash ride-along coach for the new flat rate. So for anybody who doesn't know what the new flat rate is, traditional flat rate is a good, better, best. And Depending on what kind of CRM you're using, you still have to build that package with the three different options and then make sure it adds up and makes sense. And then when you present it to the client, history shows us that we typically throw out the top, throw out the bottom, and that leaves you with the middle. That's still not really a choice because you're only left with one. So the new flat rate is menu pricing. We are not a pricing company. We're a software and development company. We take a company's existing pricing. We coach them on that. I go all over the United States and most contractors don't even know what it costs to put a truck in the driveway for an hour, let alone where their billable hours should be, where they need to be profitable per call, per truck, per day, per week, per month. So we help them work on all that. And then we are fully scripted. It's a process from start to finish. And it really, really works. I work with big companies, small companies, big towns, small towns. And in that, Rodney Cope and myself developed the very first building science and IAQ menu pricing system or module within the app. That dovetails right into my class because I teach a sales component on how to have the conversation, how to present it, how to understand how to price it especially when it comes to our discovery, because I gave that away for years and still our industry is struggling with, hey, you know what? I'm going to come out. I'm going to do some analytics. I'm going to do a blower door. I'm going to do some duct testing and whatever. And then they just undersell it or give it away because they don't think the client will. But I'll tell you, there's not a CIH in the country that'll go out and do testing for free. And so neither should we. But that's been a wonderful experience. I do own a consulting business called Dynamic Air Consulting. And in that business, I get to work with clients that are both respiratory, immunal. And that gives me an opportunity to work with contractors in the field. I bring all my testing equipment and we could go in and test out a house. And then at the end of that time, I help the contractor write a scope of work. They'll have to price it because I don't know pricing all over the country, but they'll have to price it for their market. And then That's a wonderful experience. And and more recently, for the last year and a half, I've been working with a company called Dust Free on product development. And we do have a product that's getting ready to drop. We did a soft launch at Service World Expo, and we're doing a full-blown launch at AHR with fanfare, media, the whole hype and everything. So we're excited for that. 
And so that keeps me busy, to say the least. <laughs> so when you said you've written the book, is it a literal book or you, you mean the curriculum you're talking about, the IAQ with Dyke and Amanda Goodman? Yes, it's the curriculum. Now, I will say I didn't invent the curriculum, but I sourced it and pulled it all, put it in order to make it flow for the class. And, and then it's got some of my own theories and my best practices in it as well. But, but just a matter of pulling it from so many different areas together and have it make sense for the audience. When you teach from that curriculum, what do you find are some of the tough points to get across or things that people aren't receiving well and you need to reinforce? What are some of the core concepts that may not be well understood? Oh my goodness, that runs the whole gamut depending on my audience. And it's typically the HVAC industry. And so when I start to talk about the seeing the unseen, and that gives us an opportunity to test the air and the environment and understanding what that is, that's kind of a miss at first. And then when I get into the building performance and building science, again, depending on who my audience is, that's sometimes a miss. And then for just about everybody across the board, how to have the conversation with the customer and how to sell it and sell it for what it's worth and not give it away. And also not being product driven. Our industry is falling into the trap that we're, we've got all these products just looking for a problem rather than finding a solution for a typical problem for a client. Every house is unique. Every client's unique. So we kind of had it backwards. And also prioritizing. I always say in my classes that our industry is so hyper-focused on selling equipment and super high efficient. And that's all fine and dandy, but we do indoor air quality as an afterthought, an add-on, a bolt-on, an accessory. We have to understand who my clients are. When I had my company in California, I owned an HVAC business. And my clients came to me with cystic fibrosis, COPD, immune deficiencies, oncology, double lung transplant recipients, single lung transplant recipients, valley fever, Lyme's disease. And a lot of people don't know that Lyme's disease directly affects respiratory with debilitating asthmas and triggers all the way down to your garden variety seasonal allergies where people just, it's not really medical, but they just feel miserable because of seasonal allergies. So being able to craft a solution tailored to a certain house and a certain client is a big miss. And again, we're an industry that's got a bunch of products just looking for a problem instead of genuinely finding solutions. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's make sure we don't forget to mention, where can people get in on your classes? I often advertise when I have classes on LinkedIn and Facebook, and I'll push them out to the different groups. But on the HVAC Learning Campus, is what Daikin has their platform. You can go in there and you can look up technician training. You can plug in IAQ principles workshop. That'll get you to where you can look at a calendar, see what I have coming. And then also, if you want to request a workshop in your area, we'll be more than happy to look at that, find a local distributor and partner with them and get them to host the class. Those are the different ways to get involved. One of the topics you gave us in the conversation we had beforehand was profitable maintenance. How would you describe that? That's a great question. And that lately has been my jam. I mentioned earlier that most companies don't even know what it costs to put a truck in the driveway for an hour. 
that ties right into maintenance. And so we've typically given our maintenances away. And we've got this mentality that, oh, well, everybody else is giving them away. So I need to give them away too, or else I'm not going to get enough. But they need to be profitable. So how do we do that? Well, one, charge what it's worth. Two, be able to identify value-added opportunities and seize those opportunities. And three, understand your numbers. On average, it's about $250 to put a truck in the driveway. And it varies all over the country. There's a couple different ways to go about it. When I go in with a company, I really dig into their books and we look at technicians' wages. We look at where they're at with revenue. A big component of that is their non-generating employees all the way to the guy who sweeps a shop. He's not generating revenue, but you're paying out. So we take all that into consideration, and then there's some math that needs to be done. But a simple way, if you wanted to figure out just per technician what it costs for that, you would take the technician's hourly wage. So let's just say a service tech's making 30 bucks an hour times five divided by 0.6 will give you about what it costs to put that guy in a truck in the driveway. And so everything's technology is a big one now because everybody's tablet-based and phones and different apps to help them do their job. And then stock and your overhead all goes into that. So if we're charging $240, and that seems to be like the sweet spot that a lot of companies are in, that's $120 a visit. Well, guess what? At $120 a visit, and it costs you $250-ish, to put that truck in the driveway. Now, New York's going to be different because every call is a parking ticket and they build that into their call. But it's different all over the United States. So you got to know your numbers. And then having a process to talk to the client, build confidence, lower sales resistance, and find those value-added opportunities based on three categories. And that would be one, failure prevention, two, safety, and three would be bolt on sundries accessories. And so if you use those three categories, now about 70 to 90% of people are really concerned with failure prevention and up to 70 to 80% are health and safety. So just it waffles back and forth. And then only 30% of people really care about accessories and sundries and fluff as I call it. So if you have a process to communicate well with the customer, it's the most low key relaxed call that you can have. Their stuff isn't broke down on the worst day of the year with company coming and, oh my goodness, I got to take time off of work and kids and all that stuff. It's a very relaxed call. And if we have a way to process through it, I went on a call in Michigan and I said, hey, I got this call because that's what I do during ride-alongs. I'll watch them and, and then I'll go ahead and take a call. So we go in and I start my greeting and we ask permission to come in. And I say, hey, just to clarify, did anybody from the office tell you what all is entailed in our maintenance visit today? At that time, her phone rings and she says, just a minute. She answers the phone. She says, hey, can I call you back? The filter guys are here. Where's the perceived value of a filter changer? 43 years in the industry has been reduced to a filter changer in just a matter of seconds. Because no one has built that value. We know the value, but there's perceived value. And that's what we got to hone in on. Make sure the customer understands that we're not just there to change a filter, especially when we go into our winter tune-ups and when we're really looking at combustion and safety and all that stuff and the operating and sequence operator. I mean, we really have a great opportunity 
to look deep into a system. So so the perceived value thing, how do you see this? I see this where some people put the perception way ahead of the reality of the value. And then a lot of times people put the perception way underneath the value. And there's got to be some sweet spot where you can back up the perception you give. You get what I'm saying? I absolutely do. And this is part of the problem with our industry at large. So one of the things I do when I'm out with a company, I say, hey, do you have a maintenance brochure? Can I see it? Can I see what you're giving? To... And you look at it and it's a 20 bullet point list of what they're going to check in heating, another 20. And it's like, yeah, all technical. And it's like, dude, you lost 90% of your clients. You lost them. They don't see a value in that. As a matter of fact, it's a little bit demeaning depending on who's reading it because they don't understand what it is. And so you got people who will start Googling, what's all this stuff? Or the engineer who will like hyperanalyze it. Or just the most of our clients will like, they don't understand it. They just say, whatever, it's 120 a month, sign me up. So if we can build that value, and the way I like to do it, instead of having those 40 bullet points on what you're actually going to look at, how about if we say this? Today, we're going to go ahead and have a look at your mechanical systems, safety systems, and performance system. We want to make sure your equipment's running the best it can. And we here at Dynamic Air believe that safety is no accident for you and your family. It is always our top priority. And we want to help make sure that you're not overpaying on your utility bills. By the way, how's everything been working? Is there any strange noises, smells, rooms that are too hot, too cold, dusty? Is there anything like that going on? And so those are fact-finding questions, and that engages the customer. And if you put my 40 bullet points into those three categories, I just covered everything. And that's something they can understand. My mechanical system, safety and health, and then performance. Where's my utility usage at? That builds the value. And it's an easy conversation than trying to explain 40 bullet points. There's other ways. That's just where I've been. I went on a, first off, I got a company in Minnesota I'm working with, don't you know? Their maintenance guys, after myself going out and coaching them, their maintenance department is catching up to the service department in revenue by following a process. And it's honesty, integrity, and common sense. I'm not asking you to go out and sell things just for the sake of selling things. No, you got to be honest and have some integrity about it. And then this will be my last point. I was in Dallas doing a ride along and it was a maintenance and this was a new customer. So the potential of adding him on as a member was there. And so I told the technician again, hey, I'll go ahead and run this call. And I went in and I went through part of the script that I just shared with you. And then he started showing us around inside where his air handlers and furnaces were. Then we went outside and he's got three units. We went to each condensing unit. And at the last condensing unit, he says, I know we probably have to replace these things. They're getting pretty old. And I said, yes, sir. They are 22 years old based on the nomenclature. And I, he says, I just need a little more time. So I took that and put it in my pocket. We finished out the call, went back to the customer with our findings and said, hey, Mr. Homer, do you have a minute? So do you remember you said you needed a little more time? This is where we're going to be able to do that for you. I found a fault in and we started showing him where our faults were and showing him repair options. He spent $5,000 with us on that maintenance call. The technician's jaw dropped, and the owner of the company said that has never happened in the history of our company because they didn't have a process. 
So that was 10 months ago. He's already replaced two of the systems because we set the table. You each step of the process has to set the table for the next step in the process. And that just makes a smooth transition. That's quite a process, John. I like a lot of things you said in there. And I got to say, it mirrors a lot of what I've done in my career as a technician as well. And it really does work. Speaking to the homeowners in an honest, keeping your integrity, it works quite well. So I want to segue here a little bit into something else you alluded to early on in this discussion, John, where you've been working with a company called Dust Free on a new filtration product. And you sent me some pictures of that, and I'm really excited to see this come out onto the market. I'd like to learn a little bit more about it from you, like where it should be applied, maybe how it should be applied a little bit, and talk generally about the product because it looks really interesting to me. Yeah, I'm excited. So for the last year and a half, I've been working with the engineers over at Dust Free, and that has been an absolute blast. They bring all that brain power and the mechanical aspects and then all the mass that's involved. But what I bring is 43 years of field experience being in the trenches. And we bring that to the table. And it's been just a wonderful marriage of thoughts and ideas and applications. And so from that, we have birthed this new filtration system. It's good old mechanical filtration. We use all five filtration methods. We have our official ASHRAE 52.2 credentials, MERV 16, and we also have taken it to the lab in Minnesota three or four times. It's no secret that I went after one competitor because I've been using their products for a while, but they've fallen short on many aspects, but we'll leave that right where it's at and focus more on what we're doing. And we have up to three tons is one size and four and five is the other. The four and five ton is coming at a 0.15 static drop at 492 feet per minute at 2000 CFM. At 1600 CFM, the static pressure drops even more. We've got even loading. We've got a filter life of two to five years. And on the three ton unit, we're coming at a 0.13 static drop at 1200 CFM at 492 feet per minute. And then as we go down, it just gets even better. And the loading is amazing. We've got even loading, and we are actually addressing PM 2.5. We've got a very robust electrostatic part of that filter. And again, we're using all five, but the electrostatic attraction is where most filters lose their filter life because they drop out. We're seeing other filters in the field who claim a MERV 16 drop out within just a few months because they lose that electrostatic attraction as part of their method. So we're excited about that. Again, we're going to market. So applications, it's a cumbersome filter to say the least. Let me pause there for just a second. I do want to unpack a couple things you mentioned here, terminology wise, and that is the five filtration methods and also loading. I just want to make sure everybody has this on the same page there with those terms. Great. I'm probably not going to remember all five. So we have impingement, we have electrostatic diffusion, and there's two more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but those are basically just methods that the particulate gets captured in the filter media is what we're going after there. Yes, and each one happens because of the construction of the media itself. So using microfiber technology obviously gives us more fibers per 
square foot in the media. And the reason we're able to get the static resistance that we are is because of the surface area. Each filter box, the five ton has four filters in it, and the three ton has three. One is a W configuration, the other one is an N. And so when I talk about the electrostatic component, that is really important as the overall filtration, why we get MERS 16. And I like to use parables. And so we've all like taken a balloon, rub it on your arm and stick the balloon on the wall. That's electrostatic attraction. Because of the material that the fibers are made out of, as the air passes through, it creates an electrostatic attraction naturally. Now, this is not plugged in. This is not electronic. This is, happens naturally because of the construction and the, what the fibers are made out of, how they're woven. And then each of the five different methods helps in the size range. Because if we're talking about like a 0.3 to 0.5 micron, that's what most filters are tested at. And so that's a rather large particle that can get caught real easy and even a filter without all five. But as we get smaller, those other methods come into play as in how the particle at a small size range will follow the airstream and be diverted. And just by as it comes to a strand and once the airflow goes around the strand. Now we're talking at a micron level here. And then the impingement makes the air chaotic as it's going through the fibers. And so the particles bounce around and get caught. And then with the electrostatic, that just happens as the air crosses a synthetic material. And then that natural electrostatic attraction comes into play. So how about loading? Let's talk loading real quick before you go down into applications. In the testing lab, in order to get your MERS-16, you have to do like a 98% filtration rate and at different size ranges. And then they use a capture method. And so they know what they're releasing and they capture it on the other side. And then they do the weight and or count and then do the math. That's one of the ways. And then another way is they use a laser particle scanner. And so they can see and get a count going in and not by weight, but by count, see what's coming out. And that's one of the ways. And so a lot of filters, and this is application contingent. So you have a filter in a filter can and it's got a round duct tapped on the top of it. That filter is going to primarily load right where that duct is connected and the outsides of the filter aren't going to catch anything. So it's going to load faster. But with our configuration, we're getting even loading through all filter media. And again, it's going to be application contingent. If you put a collar but just by the way our boxes is configured, it still helps that air go through most of the filter media. The cool thing is, is we're putting this out with transitions. We're going to put it out with a hanger kit with stainless steel cables. And we're going to put them out with squared arounds already built for it. And with a squared around, you really get the best airflow, the best loading, the best spread across the filter. So when they do this test in the lab, they extrapolate the numbers. And then they look at how it's going to load over time based on certain known denominators. Very cool. So basically what that is is saying, and I'm just going to sum this up here real quick. The dirt is distributed evenly across all the filter media is what I understood from all of that. Yes. Perfect. Because so we do have a variety of listeners here. I just wanted to make sure that all that was understood. Now, I think you were going to go into applications next before I interrupted. Yeah. So again. 
I alluded to my experience with the competitors, and I have installed them every way imaginable. What we have done is we've built this box to match up to the most common furnace sizes. We wanted to keep it simple so all the filters are the same size. So you either need four or you need three. There's not a variation in filter sizes. And one of the most common would be a horizontal in the attic with a transition coming off the back end of the furnace to the filter box. And on the other end, you've got a couple options, a plenum, which I did a lot of times for multiple returns, or a squared around to go to one central return. And then Dust Free makes the SST transition that gives you the option of going from furnaces to different size coils that don't match the furnaces. We're going to use the same concept in our transition and the engineers are working on it. I don't know if you've ever seen the adjustable curb for a rooftop on a pitched roof. Those are cool. And you just get it level and you put some screws in it. Well, we're going to have one that's going to do about the same thing. It'll go to a fern, it'll go from our size and adjust down to different furnace openings. The only thing we're not addressing yet, and it's on the table, is air handlers because they're totally different footprint, but that'll be coming as well. That transition is going to be a double transition, obviously. So we tried to make it as user friendly as possible. So that would be one of the common ways to do it. I've actually got furnaces sitting on top of the box in a closet if the closet will allow you the space. We are going to do a smart stand. Dust Free already has one, and it is a pedestal that the furnace sits on. And then next to it, you would tap in the filter. And then from there, you do a flex connector and a transition. And this is for a basement set, and you can hit your drop. So the furnace would obviously be sitting underneath your supply, and next to that would be your return drop. And then also for a furnace, if it's sitting on the deck, if you will, we're going to have a transition that comes off the side for a side mount that would go to the box. You could do a sweep to the box to the transition, or you could duct it a couple of different ways. So those are the most common applications. But again, we're looking at roof mount exposed and how to seal it up, how to cover anybody that's done commercial work. You have smoke detectors on the roof and they have a little shroud that goes on with a slide panel. Well, we can do the same thing with our unit on the roof with a little shroud and a slide panel to keep the access on the panel door dry and so you can get in and out of it. So we're really thinking this through. But what's cool is they've got two-point distribution. They, as in Dust Free, kind of wrapped up. United States, Canada, and Europe. As a matter of fact, they have a plant in Milan, Italy, which I hope to be going to in March, but that's a different story. We're really looking at being able to get this into the end user's hands easily. They come knockdown, which our competitors don't. This is a cumbersome box. It comes in a little cardboard box like a suitcase in one hand, the filters in a box in the other hand. You walk into the customer's house, you go up into the attic or down in the basement, it assembles in five to 10 minutes, ready to go. Two things easy to get it into the house or into the attic. I've had to disassemble these things and reassemble them in the attic. Two, when you're looking at distribution, you're not so much selling your product, you're buying shelf space. And so being able to stock these at a distribution level and not take up so much shelf space is going to be huge. And then for the contractor, if they want to keep some in stock, again, not taking up a bunch of space is pretty huge. They say you buy your kids gifts and they play with the box. When they first showed me that, I geeked out on the cardboard box. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was just thinking about that from an installation standpoint of being able to fit everything on a truck today with the size of equipment, the size of the outdoor units, stuff was getting bigger and not having another giant box to try to throw in the back of a van to take to a job site. That sounds pretty useful to me, having done that and tried to fit it all in the back of vans or trailers and whatnot. <laughs> Absolutely. It could turn out to be really, really challenging. You had mentioned some of the preamble to this building forensics. Is that something you do through your consulting company? Yes. And so this is interesting. This is part of the discovery phase. So when you have your discovery, you're gathering data. And then when you bring your data back, you're almost like a lawyer. You're going to put all the data and then you've got to present your case to the homeowner as to why they should move forward on what you're doing. So forensics is basically going into a building, having a plethora of data points that you're collecting, seeing what's going wrong and working your way out of a building. Because we know how buildings are supposed to be built. We know how they're supposed to perform and how they're supposed to act under different conditions. But that doesn't always happen in the real world. And so forensics is basically going in, figuring out what's working, what isn't, and why. And then going backwards, collecting data. So that's what we do in home performance and in building science is we go in and we collect data. Then understanding what the data is telling us and then converting that into a solution and then turning that solution into a scope of work. I'm going to be speaking at the symposium this year and my talk is going to be turning IAQ data into dollars. And I'm going to go into pretty good detail on this subject with the time that I'm allotted on how to get, one, how to get your customer to buy into the testing. That's always been an argument. And then collecting the data, what data needs to be collected, analyzing the data, and then turning that into a scope of work and being able to present that to the customer. Being that we're process driven, I have a process that I've developed over my years in the field, an IAQ, indoor air quality, investigate, analyze, and quote. You have to do all three. They have to be done in order our industry right now here, again, here's about indoor air quality, goes right to the quote. And I coined a phrase that I use in my talks and is prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. But yet we want to jump right to a prescription, not even understanding what's going on. And so in that investigate, analyze, quote, I've got three categories of air safety, seeing the unseen of what's in the air, pollutants and different things. And then building safety, which is our building science and building performance component, and then existing mechanical and the effect it has on that. And again, this has been my industry for 43 years. I've been using NCI's testing methodology for 18 years of measuring airflow and static pressure and system performance, delivered capacities, sensible latent ratios, air exchanges per hour, filtration rates, airflow, all of that that encompasses. I've been doing that for the longest time. Again, some of the stuff that Jim's doing with MeasureQuick, just streamline that whole process because I did it long form. I'm sure you did too for years, Eric. You take the data and you do the math and now you have an answer. As we come to wrapping up this podcast, this session, you're talking to a couple of tool guys here. What are some of your favorite tools to use? And it's okay to shout out brand names because you're a user. So first and foremost, I have both the Energy Conservatory 
and Retrotech blower door and duct tester. I have them both. What I really like for those tight spots is a six inch turning vane anemometer from Alinor. That really gets me out of some tight spots for measuring airflow. I've got an Alinor flow hood. Evergreen Telemetry's got some really nice flow hoods out now. Even uh, low velocity can measure 5 CFM. I just sat in a class with Eric over at the Energy Conservatory. It was a lot of fun and it was neat to revisit all that because I've been doing it for so long. And I recently toured the plant over at Evergreen too. So they got some neat stuff going on. And then I've got, I use Lighthouse for particle scanning. It gives me five size ranges. I've got a Velocic hot water anemometer, old school. I use Testo tools. I use an Air Advice for doing air analysis. I use another company called Air Answers. It's a different parameter and it's basically a CIH in a box. They're a fantastic company. And I use another company called Got Mold to do a quick air assessment. Yeah, Jason Earl, he was on the podcast before. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've known Jason for years. Did you know that he used to have mold-smelling dogs and went out and used to do assessments? Yeah, I think that's on his website, that black dog. Yeah, that's how I met him. I've been out in the field with him and his dog. So I've known Jason for a long time, and it's neat to come up how he came up with the got mold, which is great. And I've got more in-depth mold testing, that more expensive models, if you will. There's a whole host of tools out there. You can get lost in tools. And I know that TrueTech has been a great source for tools. And are you guys offering the air advice? Yes. Yeah. And they just added formaldehyde to their menu of components that they're testing. I know Jeff mounts very well. Very cool. As we finish up, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? You had mentioned LinkedIn. Is that the best way? LinkedIn. Here's what I'm going to do. I am not bashful. I take calls from everyone all over the United States and sometimes out of the country all the time. My phone number is 505-652-8119. Call me. My social security number is, oh, wait a minute, we don't want that one. (laughs) Beep. (laughs) My email address is dynamicairconsulting at AOL.com. And I'm on lots of social media platforms and LinkedIn is a good one as well. Very good. Real pleasure having you on, John, today. I've known you for a while, but now I know a lot more about you and look forward to seeing you. Eric and I will both be at the AHR Expo in January in 2024, and we'll be sure to stop by. Which booth will we see the product at? You know what? I don't have a booth number yet, but it'll be dust-free and they're going to be a big booth. So come on over and get your picture taken. So we want as much fanfare as possible. Perfect. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. You guys have a great day. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science, where, as you might know if you've been a listener, our goal is to help create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping these two professions to better understand each other, the work they do, the science behind it, with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. I want to thank you for listening to this episode with John Ellis on Filtering the Future. The Journey of John Ellis and Reinventing Air Quality. If you want to reach out to the Building HVAC Science Podcast, you can email marketing at truetechtools.com, T-R-U-T-E-C-H-T-O-O-L-S.com. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. In full disclosure, I'm a co-owner of True Tech, 
and Eric Kaiser, my co-host, is our industry engagement manager. The opinions voiced on this show are those of my guests, my co-host, or myself, depending on who's speaking, of course. If you're in the market for any tools or test instruments that would help you perform the building performance or HVAC work, take a look at what my company, True Tech Tools, offers. T-R-U-T-E-C-H-T-O-O-L-S dot com. And you can use the secret offer code of HVACBS for a nice discount. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you subscribe to this podcast. Until next time, this is the Building HVAC Science Podcast, signing off.